It's good to be home. It's good to be here. It's good to be together as we worship God. Some words from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young people stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's come to our eternal God in prayer. Let's pray together. God, beyond time, we praise you. We praise you for the gift of this day with all its potential. We praise you for the whole of life, age and youth, infirmity and strength. We praise you for times and seasons. Gods beyond place, we praise you. We praise you for the gift of this place, with all its history and all its future. We praise you for the whole of creation, animals, plants and minerals, vast things and tiny things. We praise you for the living and the inert. God, within time, we praise you. We praise you for the gift of Christ, your word made flesh, living with us as one of us. We praise you for the mystery of the cross, and the hope of resurrection. We praise you for faith and truth. God, in this place, we praise you. We praise you for your Holy Spirit moving freely among and within us. We praise you for the mystery of inspiration and the call to mission. We praise you for challenge and change. God beyond words, before, within, and after time. God beyond understanding, near at hand, yet far away. Accept our praises, which we offer in the name of Christ. Amen. We have uh, three readings this morning. The first is from Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. For 40 days after his death, Jesus appeared to them many times in what proved beyond doubt that he was alive. They saw him and he talked with them about the kingdom of God. And when they came together, he gave them this order. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift I told you about, the gift my father promised. John baptized with water, but in a few days' time you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when the apostles met together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time give back the kingdom back to Israel? And Jesus said to them, The times and occasions are set by my Father's own authority, and it is not for you to know when they will be. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up to heaven as they watched him, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They still had their eyes fixed on the sky as they went away, when two men dressed in white suddenly stood beside them and said, Galileans, why are you standing there looking up at the sky? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And then in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk says, I will climb my watchtower and wait to see what the Lord will tell me to say and what answer he will give to my complaint. And the Lord gave me this answer. Write down clearly on clay tablets what I reveal to you so that it can be read at a glance. Put it in writing because it is not yet time for it to come true. But the time is coming quickly. And what I show you will come true. It may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It will certainly take place and will not be delayed. And this is the message. Those who are evil will not survive, but those who are righteous will live because they are faithful to God. <clears throat> then the second, <clears throat> sorry, the second epistle of Peter Chapter 3. And Peter says, Do not forget one thing, my dear friends. There is no difference in the Lord's sight between one day and a thousand years. To him the two are the same. The Lord is not slow to do what he has promised, as some think. Instead, he is patient with you, because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants all to turn away from their sins. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day the heavens will disappear with a shrill noise. The heavenly bodies will burn up and be destroyed and the earth with everything in it will vanish. Since all these things will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should you be? Your lives should be holy and dedicated to God. There's a saying, isn't there? A week is a long time in politics. Well, certainly the last week or so, all the news reports have been dominated by one topic. Who is going to form the next United Kingdom government? And as I've watched and listened and read, I've really detected a lot of impatience. We had results that 
were not entirely unexpected, but required some thinking about. And yet, if you watched the television, there was this drive that somebody should make a decision very quickly. There was somebody standing outside number 10 Downing Street. There was somebody standing outside every party leader's home, waiting to be there when he came out to find out what he was going to say. And it felt to me, anyway, as if sometimes people wanted a decision, a quick decision, more than they wanted a good and wise decision. Whatever our political opinions are, and whatever our views on the form of democracy that we experience are, we tend to like quick, easy decisions, rather than relatively protracted and decidedly complicated. I suspect for those who were actually involved in making those decisions, that week went incredibly quickly, and the pressures were enormous. Somewhere along the line, we've come to expect instant answers to everything and have lost at least some of our experience to exercise patience. I was grumbling this morning that my computer was having a go slow and I'd got to print out service sheets. Sometimes we grumble that our broadband connection is too slow when actually a few years ago we were on dial-up and those bleeping noises in the background and you could just get one little picture and you thought it was fantastic. Somewhere along the line we've drifted into a kind of wiki world and we've even made that world shorter. It should be wiki-wiki, but that's too long, so we just have wiki. And we've got a kind of wiki Christianity with a wiki God who gives us instant answers according to our desires. But, you know, that's not what the Bible says about God. And that's not what the ancient Jews experienced. It's not what Jesus said. And if we're honest... It's not what our own lives show us. Thursday just gone, so one week on from that election, was Ascension Day. Something that a lot of Baptists don't really take any notice of. It actually felt quite strange to me not being at an Ascension Day service, because I have been for the last decade, but there you go. But it's a day on which the idea of patient waiting... And the difference between how God sees things and how people see things is brought to our attention. Next Sunday, we'll be celebrating Pentecost. That's a hint, you know, what this party might be about. But today, we have to wait to get there. Waiting for God. Or, if you like it in churchy language, waiting on the Lord. Something that seems to me we can understand in at least three ways. I'm not really a three-point sermon kind of a girl, but this is pretty close today. One of the ways that we interpret waiting on God or waiting for God is holy inaction. A sense that nothing can be done until such time as God's will is unequivocally clear. We can't quite do it yet because we're not quite sure it's what God wants. And at its worst, that becomes an excuse for being lazy or just justifying the status quo. It can also, though, be a kind of paralysis where we so over-spiritualize everything that common sense and Christian values just don't count anymore. So that can't be 
what waiting for God is really about. Secondly, there's a kind of holified resignation. A sense that it is all too big and too complicated and too demanding and too overwhelming and actually we can't do anything. And it can be an excuse to abdicate our responsibility or deny the call that we have from God to be disciples of Jesus. So that can't be right either. And the third one is a kind of holified frustration. A sense that all isn't right with the world and God, could you just hurry up and sort it out, please? Unlike the other two, which sound really holy, really spiritual, but aren't, the railing against God's apparent tardiness or disinterest is the one we see in the Bible. The psalmists and the prophets alike say and raise the cry, How long, O Lord? How long? And Habakkuk, from whom we heard just a few verses, is one of those who says, How long, God? How long is this going on? When are you going to act? When is something going to change? Now, we need to be careful because we shouldn't be frustrated that God isn't giving us answers at the speed we want them. That's about our desires. The frustration is that what we think is God's will sometimes is not being seen. The Bible tells us what God wants. And sometimes we get frustrated because we're not seeing that. God is a God of justice, a God of truth, a God of hope. And when we look out at the world and see that that's not what it's like, then it's right that we ask the question, how long, God? How long has this got to go on? But as we are waiting for Pentecost, as we're waiting for the incoming of God's kingdom, it's good to think about what it means for us to wait for God, to wait upon the Lord. It seems to me that at the heart of each of the readings we heard this morning is a difference between our human understanding of time as linear and progressing unstoppably onwards into an unforeseen future, that's that's not the same way as God sees time. In our culture of instant everything, we confuse what we experience as delay with divine inactivity or divine rejection. The fact that it takes a long time to work through a process of discerning the way forward doesn't mean either that God is blocking it because it's wrong or that Satan is blocking it because it's right. It just means it's taking a long time. That's just the fact. Sometimes discerning the way God is leading us takes a long time. Sometimes the thing that God wants to happen takes a long time. The letter from Peter says, to God, a day and a thousand years, it's all the same. It's just a blink of an eye. It's not that God is slow or has stopped. It's because we can't see the way God sees. And as I pondered that, I thought, you know, that's not so different in a way from us getting older in years. When we were children... Being told that tea wouldn't be ready for half an hour 
Seemed like forever, didn't it? All those things you could do in half an hour. All the weeks you had to wait until your birthday or a holiday. It seemed interminable. I can certainly remember the time between the start of Advent and Christmas seemed like forever. Now it's gone before I even notice. When we're in our 20s, and in the days when I was in my 20s, you could afford to buy a house, the idea of a 25-year mortgage, I think that's something about 40 years now, it seems forever. And yet, even at my age, I can look back and 25 years has gone like an afternoon. It's not that God is ancient, and so it seems different. That's just too simplistic. But what I am trying to say is our limits, our humanity, makes it difficult for us to see, as God sees, in a way that perhaps is not so different from a child not seeing time the way an adult sees it. The disciples said to Jesus, when is Israel going to be restored? And he said, well... You don't need to know that. What I want you to do is wait for God's spirit. Perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised that when Jesus left, they were kind of staring at the sky, stood standing, as people say in the north of England. Apparently that causes a lot of amusement around here. It's just normal speech to me. There you go. They were stood standing at the sky, trying to work out what on earth has happened, because Jesus has gone. And he's told them to wait. We know that Pentecost was ten days later. They haven't got a clue. It could have been ten years. Or twenty years. Or ten minutes. They had no way of knowing. It was real time. And they wondered. And they hoped. And they questioned. One of the constant threads through the Gospels and the letters is what it means to be waiting on God. And we get lots of glimpses of believers patiently waiting for Christ to return and missing the point of what that waiting was about. Just like it was then for us now, waiting for God is not pious inactivity, but engaged missional discipleship. I'd like to suggest there are three aspects of that waiting, each of which is glimpsed in scripture and is listed on a bit of paper you've got stuffed in your hymn book. Firstly, as we wait for God, God waits for us. God is patient. The Bible shows us a God who is eternally patient, kind and hopeful. Psalm 30, for example, says God's anger only lasts for a moment, God's goodness for a lifetime. Or again, in some of the other Psalms, the Lord is merciful and loving, slow to anger and full of constant love. The letter from Peter perhaps takes us a step further in understanding why it is that God seems to take a long time to act. The Lord is not slow to do what he's promised, as some think. Instead, he's patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants all to turn away from their sins. There are a lot of well-intended but misguided preachers who look at the world and see all the turmoil and struggle and go, well, that's it. Jesus will be back very soon now and it will all be swept away. All those evil people will be swept away and we, the nice holy ones, will have our reward. That's not what scripture says, actually. 
This letter suggests that God is really patient and does not want anyone to be lost. And we have a mystery here that we have this gift of free will and we have a patient God who is motivated by love for the whole of creation. So it must be right then that God waits for us in all our frailty, all our limitation, as we try to be Jesus Christ's disciples. And God also waits for all those who are not yet Jesus' disciples. God waits for us. That's why things sometimes take an awfully long time. Secondly, as we wait for God, God waits with us. God is present. Just as the Bible speaks about God's patience, so it speaks of God's presence. Sometimes, as in the Exodus story, there is that column of cloud, the pillar of fire. Sometimes, as it was with Elijah, God's presence is felt in the sound of silence. More oftenly, God's presence is detected in the activity of God's spirit. God's Sophia wisdom. God's ruach wind or pneuma breath. One of the last promises Jesus gave his friends was he wasn't going to abandon them. He wasn't going to leave them to fend for themselves in a scary world. But God would send them a comforter, a companion, a paraclete, always present to strengthen and uphold them. And that's where we get to next week. When it seems as if God is slow to act and as if nothing ever changes, God's with us in the waiting, waiting with us. In our struggles, our infirmity, God's with us. The eternally patient God is eternally present with us. The breath of God permeates every moment, gently transforming us more and more into the likeness of Christ. In the now and yet of the kingdom of God, God waits with us. Lastly, though, as we wait for God, God doesn't wait for us. So God does wait for us, but God also doesn't wait for us. Because this God who is patient and present is a God who is never inactive. Again, the psalmist, in one of those lovely images I find, Psalm 121, the protector of Israel never dozes or sleeps. When we look around at the world and see all the injustice, all the violence and all the evil, we can be fooled into thinking that God is at best asleep or at worst has just given up on us. But actually, God is active in all of that, even while we're playing catch-up. Even while we're trying to work out what to do, God is already out in the world, active and loving and transforming and redeeming. On the back of your little piece of paper, I've printed an Iona hymn, which seems to capture some of that. Heaven is not going to wait. Heaven, through Christ, God, through the Spirit, is at work in a world where there are poor people who need something changed, where there are people who need justice, 
where there are people who need hope. God is alive and active in all of that. I could read it for you, but I think we'd be here too long. This is part of the mystery of what it means for us to wait for God. God waits for us. God is incredibly, eternally patient, beyond anything I can imagine. God waits with us. God shares with us in the struggle and the frustration and the questioning and whatever else it is. And yet, mysteriously, God doesn't wait for us because God is always active, going ahead of us to bring hope and healing and new life. Our challenge as we wait with God and for God is not to be paralyzed, but actually to stand up and join in with God in what God is already doing in our workplaces, in our families, in our community. Because, as a hymn writer says, Jesus Christ is waiting. In our prayers of intercession this morning, there is a song response which is printed on the sheet. I'd be really grateful if you could change his to whose when you get that far. That would be really nice. That was just a slip up in the, uh, the emailing system. When I say the words, help us to wait for you, that will be the cue that we sing the response. So I will get to a point of saying, help us to wait for you, and then we sing, wait for the Lord whose day is near. Let's pray together. You, O Lord, wait for us, patiently longing to hear our prayers, aching for us to turn from self to you, giving us all the time in the world to discover our need, desiring that all may know your love. Forgive us our failings and help us to wait for you. sleep is disrupted by anxiety, at the bedside of one we love who is sick or dying, in the uncertainty of decisions beyond our control, or in the moments that hang between question and answer, forgive us our doubt and help us to wait for you.
oh Lord, do not wait for us. Where there is only pain and suffering, you are there. Where injustice devalues or violence dehumanises, you are there. Where love is expressed and compassion shown, you are there. In places far away and close at hand, you are there. Forgive us our inactivity and help us to wait for you. waiting, bringing hope where all seems forlorn, bringing faith where all seems meaningless, bringing love where all seems empty. Show us how we may wait for you, wait with you, and follow you where you are leading that we may be active in our waiting for you. We wait the Lord. our prayers in Christ's name. Amen.